Splash 322 for throwing fire. We're keeping it there's no doubt that the game has changed and we are changing with it welcome to season two because in this season it is all about how we become and stay operational how we're ready for every moment of our life on and off the job i'm your host jeff fanman Thanks for joining me, and let's get down to it. This podcast is brought to you as a part of the Operational Mindset Foundation. Our mission is to mentally, physically, and emotionally prepare you for the challenges you're going to face on and off the job. It's funded through donations, sponsorships, and our work with departments across the U.S. Get involved with us by visiting opmindset.org. That's opmindset.org. There you can find out how to bring a new level of training to your department and how to help us expand the conversation. Now, let's fire up today's episode. Welcome back to Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Fanman. Today with me, a good, good, good friend. We've been trying to schedule this, plan this, work this out, travel schedules, life, everything else always gets in the way clearly. Uh, But today with me, Mike Brown. Now, a lot of you won't know Mike. Uh before this podcast and hopefully all of you will really know Mike at the end of this podcast uh, because he is a pretty radical human being. Uh, Mike has served with us, former fighter pilot and some badass stories there that we may get into uh, that definitely take something. Uh, Serial entrepreneur, highly successful entrepreneur out there in the world doing great things and a man who is not afraid to take himself on so in the essence of the podcast we're going to do a little deep dive and we're going to see where this conversation goes but mike thanks for joining me today i appreciate it thanks for having me jeff i'm really excited to be here yeah i think this is going to be a lot of fun man because you and i even are sitting right here before the show the conversations that we're having the things that we talk about uh like the other night sitting around with your brother you know we're laughing because we're like if this was 1950 and three dudes hanging out you know drinking we'd be talking banter and sports and sex and this and that and everything else but here we are locked into this very deep dive conversation about trusted relationship and communication and personal need and fears and like you know we all kind of broke and laughed at each other for a minute of like wait a minute how does this come about yeah definitely i mean it's it's definitely uh kind of a new paradigm i think for uh people like us and you know starting to recognize that uh, the way that we used to think about being a man is, is radically shifting. And, you know, it's okay to talk about feelings, heaven forbid. And it's, <laughs> oh, and no. It's, right? And it's, and it's okay to kind of open up. And, and actually, it's, it's really beneficial to have that, that male support system where you can talk about those things. And, you know, even uh, back in the day when I was in the squadron, it's just not stuff that you talk about with your buddies. You talk about football. You know, you don't talk about what's going on with you personally. And uh, opening that side of me up has just been a tremendous growth opportunity and changed my life for the better. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, that's where I'd like to get to today. I'd like to, you and I talked about this. We'd like to go back and, you know, through the conversation, like, where do I start? You know, last week we kind of talked about the other day, we talked about opening Pandora's box. I kind of shared a little bit of my journey where I started in this process and that I don't know what the path is necessarily, but I want to kind of dissect that with you a little bit today. But you know, really before we get started, like who's Mike Brown? 
Like, give me the down and dirty. Who, who the hell are you, Mike Brown? Yeah, so um, as, as you alluded, um, I, I am a fellow veteran. Uh, I grew up in Midland, Texas, which is the oil and gas capital of the world, which uh, kind of becomes important later. Uh, I went to the Naval Academy in 1999 and graduated 2003, uh, went down to Pensacola for flight training, and ended up flying F-18s out of Virginia Beach, uh, served aboard the USS Harry S. Truman uh, in OIF in 2007-2008, and then uh, ended up in San Diego teaching Marines and SEALs how to call in airstrikes. I got out in 2011. Uh, I thought I was going to be a government contractor because that's what everybody was doing in 2011. And uh, I got an amazing opportunity from a mentor of mine growing up who uh, told me it was the best time in the history of the oil business to, to be in the oil business. He invited me to move back to my hometown of Midland, Texas, where I never wanted to go again. Right. And, uh, and he was right. It turned out to be the, the best time in the history of the oil business to be doing that. Uh, I worked for him for a couple years and then started my own company in, uh, in 2013. And uh, yeah, it worked out really well. I, I started that company with uh, a guy I flew with, Jay Consalvi. And uh, we exited the bulk of our assets last year. And uh, yeah, now I'm just uh, trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. When you be when you grow up, seriously, seriously. Well, it's a good place to be. And I think that's, you know, that leads you down the path, right? And then to me, it's always crazy how lives intersect, right? And so, you know, we met, we truly, actually, we didn't meet at the event uh, in Park City, uh, Mastermind Talks. We didn't, we didn't meet there. Uh, I hung out with Matt Pryor, who we're going to schedule again on the show. He, he reached out to me the other day to check in and see how things were going. Uh, another phenomenal human being. Now, Matt was, uh, was Matt an RAF pilot? He was an RAF pilot, yeah. Yeah, yeah total badass. Uh, a lot of fun to be around out there doing crazy adventure shit in the world. But I saw I hang out with Matt at MMT a little bit and I guess Matt calls you and is like dude did you meet Jeff and you're like no I didn't meet Jeff and then I get this obscure text like I understand we're going to be new besties <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah that's basically how it went and uh we had we had a call and I was super excited about the things you were doing yeah. um especially around around meditation which is something that I'm deeply into yeah. and uh and we can talk about all of that stuff but uh yeah kind of kind of besties ever since yeah, and it's been cool, and I think that's. But I think this is, so I think this is an important point for the conversation and where things go. And you know, we talked about this. It's scary to start looking at yourself. Absolutely. I mean, uh, basically, about three and a half years ago, uh, I had moved to Colorado, uh, and I had basically hit all the wickets of success that I was supposed to hit. You know, I had graduated from the Naval Academy, done the fighter pilot thing, faced myself in combat and, uh, and, and come back and then started a successful company. And, uh, you know, I had uh, the beautiful house, the beautiful family, uh, the cars, all the dumb things you're supposed to have. Right. And I woke up with a giant hole in my soul. And I realized there's, there's got to be more than this because uh, I did all of the things that everyone told me were supposed to make me happy. And yet... I felt like there was something missing and that kind of started me down this path of, of personal development and starting to look at myself and go, okay, well, if these achievements aren't what's going to fill me up, then what is? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting approach because I think the, the standard issue, if you will, version of that story for a lot of us goes from the standpoint of, 
we either don't have physically everything we want, we don't necessarily have the car or the house, or we're struggling financially, we're dealing with things, and we hit a point in intersection life where we find we have this hole, and then we start searching to fill it with externals. You know, you had the opportunity through business and life to kind of have those things and still have that hole, right? And what we do, that to me is an intersection of our life, right? That is a a point in life that is a big, big why in the road. There's a big choice there. And I think we watched historically, a lot of us choose a path of trying to fill that hole with external things, find a new wife or husband, buy a different car, right? That's our quote unquote midlife crisis, old school. Totally. Yeah. But there's a new emergence happening. Yeah, that's that's right, and it's it's really uh, kind of this process of waking up and going, okay, you know, and 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 I'm really thankful that at that point um, I realized, hey, it's not going to be taking my business to the to the next level because, you know, I had started, you know, uh, my whole life I've been setting goals because that's what everyone told me to do. Hey, set a goal, go out, work hard, and you'll achieve that goal and you'll feel great. So. I went out and I and I set the goals and I said, okay, I, I want to you know make a million dollars by the time I'm 35, and then I'm going to hit 10 million, and then I'm going to hit 40 million, and I had all of these things lined out. But as I started to hit some of those things, I realized, wait a minute, I don't feel any different than I did before. <laughs> yeah. So is hitting the next one even gonna even gonna change what I'm feeling? And, and the answer was no. So if if getting more, accumulating more, achieving more success. If that's not going to fill me up, then what is? And, and so what, what I really started doing during that process is I started reading personal development books. I started listening to podcasts like this one and going, okay, you know, how do I find what's out there? And, um, you know, so, so some of those first steps are, the, are the really the most important ones. And especially, you know, coming from the military and coming from this background that we're talking about, looking at yourself can be really, really difficult. And, you know, there's, there's so much out there that I didn't even know that I didn't know. Um, but the first one is, I think, is understanding where you get your values from, understanding why you're doing the things that you're doing. And most of us uh, grow up and we have certain patterns imprinted on us that we did not choose. You know, I, I didn't ever have a choice as to was I going to go to college? Was I going to do these things? It was just, hey, this is what you're supposed to do based on society, based on our parents, based on our teachers. This is the path, you know, go to college, get a good job. For me, being an entrepreneur was super important. I always knew I wanted to start a company. Um, but was I starting it for the right reasons or was I starting it because that was external validated success that I was supposed to achieve? Yeah. You know, so starting to look at why did I choose these things and uh, are they really my own is the first step, I think, in that process. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. And, and I think a lot of us in our community have watched this, you know, values and and morals seem to like collapse a lot of times you know we get that mixed up with well i value god and country or i value these certain things well those those fall into like this moral bucket and and a value system like you said gets created early i value success because success then dictates something i've done right i've done well i've achieved i've fulfilled my destiny right there we do have these embedded value systems and that's, and it's somebody explained it to me one day and it was brilliant the way they explained it to me. We're kind of talking about these, these differences and things and I'm trying to recall it, but it was basically along the lines that said, you know, your value, you look at what is most important to you, 
where you put energy, effort, right? Because that is really your value system. What do you value? Do you value, you know, an attractive person? Do you value material things? Do you value, you know, and, and it's an exercise that can be very disruptive because internally we've always kind of been, been collapsing this, this moral, you know, self thing into this value system and then making it okay. And, yeah. And, and that's not always, I think I found my value system was way skewed. I was like, nope, let's dump all that because I don't really value some of that stuff. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And so, you know, one of, the, one of the most profound things that I've learned over the last few years is actually how do I become at choice with what I'm doing? And, and this is a word that you'll hear me use a lot, yeah. which is, hey, am I at choice with this? Am I at choice with the work that I've chosen uh, yeah, it's, it's provided me this incredible lifestyle and, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to, uh, start a company during a time when, uh, you know, there was a lot of success to be had and that created, uh, a lot of wealth, but, you know, is this something that's actually filling up my soul? Is this something that is, uh, you know, is, is this how I want to show up in the world? You know, I started an oil and gas company, but ultimately I'm not passionate about oil and gas and, and people, you know, always talk about, hey, find something that you're passionate about. Make your work your passion and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, yeah, that's certainly uh, one way to do it. But while I'm not passionate about oil and gas per se, I am passionate about investing and creating value and finding deals that can create wealth for my investors. So that's a piece of that that I'm passionate about. And what I was able to do is bring my values from the military. Integrity, yes. you know, standing up for what's right. Yep. And that allowed my company to separate ourselves from the other companies out there is that people know if they're going to do business with us, we're going to bring integrity, we're going to bring honor, and we're going to do the right thing all the time. So, you know, was I passionate about oil and gas per se? No, but I was passionate about bringing honor and integrity to our business. And that's what allowed us to create the success. Yeah, and 100%. And I think that's a big benchmark in a lot of what you see out there. You said something interesting I want to kind of bounce back to because I want you to explain a little bit more. So at choice. Yeah, definitely. Because um, I think a lot of people think they choose every day. Yeah. Like they have the power of choice. So talk to me about at choice. Talk to yeah. me about that. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things uh, I realized about myself uh, during this personal development process was that I had a pattern uh, of being a rebel. And, and that started when I was really young. Uh, you know, uh, my mom, uh, was, uh, an amazing mom for five kids, but you know, she, uh, was very hard on us about achieving success, both academically, you know, on the sports field, all of those things. And, uh, in some ways, uh, I learned that love was given through achievement. Uh, that drove a lot of the ways that I showed up in the world then. You know, and, and we all do this. Our, our parents and, and society gives us these values. And then we say, oh, okay, well, if I achieve this, then I'm going to get love. Great. I'm going to go out and achieve as much as I possibly can because we're all looking for that, for that love. So then as I start creating these value systems around achievement, I think that's what's going to make me happy. I'm not actually a choice with those values. I'm doing it from this subconscious pattern of, well, if I do this, then I'm going to get love. Yeah. So I'm not actually looking to achieve these goals. They're not something that are important to me. They're coming from this pattern that was imprinted on me that I didn't ask for. You know, and that doesn't mean my mom wasn't doing a good job sure. because all of our parents uh, are doing the best they can with the information that they have. Yes. Right. And they're trying to create us 
in a way that uh, you know they, that we have more success than they did. I think that's what every parent wants. One hundred percent. But inadvertently, these things are kind of given to us, and we start acting uh, in a subconscious matter. And 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 this is what this is what everyone does. So the the journey is then going back and go, hey, did I actually choose these things, or were they just subconsciously driven into me? And once we start uh, looking at our patterns, so so as I mentioned, the the rebel pattern for me. Uh, you know, when I was, when I was achieving these goals, I was always doing it in a little bit different way. And, um, you know, my mom was, was super strict. So I would go out and I would, I would get in trouble and, and, uh, you know, not do things to my, the best of my ability. Sure. And it was, it was kind of this subconscious pattern that was driving me. I got in a lot of trouble early on in the military, uh, at the Naval Academy, kind of, kind of took the John, <laughs> kind of took the John McCain route through through the Naval Academy, uh, and graduated near the bottom of my class. And I realized I wasn't choosing that. I was I was acting out of a pattern that was created long before. You know, when I was when I was a little kid, and that pattern served me really well. It allowed me to go out and become an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs are rebels, and we want to do things differently and shake up the system. And so that pattern served me really well in starting a company. But then as I reached more success, I realized that rebel pattern is no longer serving me. It's actually becoming a limitation because now I'm always trying to be a contrarian and I'm, I'm doing things that aren't necessarily helping me get to the next level. So what happens is our patterns can create a massive amount of success and they can serve us really well until they don't. Once I recognized that, then I was able to become a choice with the rebel pattern. And that's what's really amazing is a lot of times people think if they recognize a pattern in themselves, they have to get rid of it and heal it and, and make it go away. Yeah. And that's not actually true. Now I can be a choice with the rebel pattern. And what that means is I can wear that hat sometimes and sometimes it might serve me really well, but I can recognize when it's not serving me, I can take that off and actually put that to bed for a while and not have to be that way. So now this is a pattern that I've recognized that I can be completely at choice with and now it can serve me sometimes and not serve me in other times. And I, and I can kind of differentiate when those times are. Dude, that, that is a beautiful explanation of it. Because that's really, I think that's the, again, an assumption that's made over time. I have to then somehow kill my old self or get rid of these things. Listen, <clears throat> you know, childhood trauma is real. The things we're exposed to, the way that we're shaped through parents, through friends, through upbringing, through environment, through all those things, they will always be there. And I think that's, you know, we want to look at step one. Step one is, to me, maybe the, just the acceptance that you're going to learn a lot of things, but ultimately I love that, that, uh, that statement at choice. I'm at choice with who I need to be, how I need to be in this moment, and does it serve the purpose? Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, the, the big thing about this, like you said, is it's not you have to, to heal these things and make them go away. And the other point you made, we all have childhood trauma. Sure. And trauma is a really scary word because most people just go, oh, well, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't abused. You know, right. I wasn't raped, so I don't have any trauma. And it's, <laughs> what, what I really learned is it's not the trauma Olympics, right? Yeah. You know, trauma has this super negative connotation, but all trauma really is is something that was done to us that created a subconscious pattern. So that can be, you know, a math teacher looking down and, and shaming you for not doing your homework. That can be as significant as an event to a little kid as, uh, you know, physical abuse. Totally. They both create patterns in us that, that create areas where we're not at choice. So the first thing is everybody has trauma. 
everyone has things that happen to them that they when they were young that then shapes who they are as an adult, right? We we can't get away from that. Everyone has these things. And the minute you accept the fact that hey, did things happen to me that created subconscious patterns? Yes. Okay, now I can go look at those things without a charge because I don't have to compare myself to somebody else and go, you know, and we see this a lot is people go, "Well, my parents didn't beat me. My parents were great. I'm all set." And you go, <laughs> Yeah, your parents might have been great. They were doing the absolute best they could. And how have how, has their upbringing shaped you till now? And how can you change that, you know, in your current patterns? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like when I started looking back, you know, for years, it was like everything was fine. Everything was normal. We just got divorced. And you know what I mean? Like everything was made to be okay. And as I started looking, I'm like, wait a minute. No, there wasn't a lot of okay stuff. And it really impacted you know, the way I've, it one, it served me very well, very well for a very long time. And it enabled me to do things in, in great ways. So there's a big service to it. So an acknowledgement, a thank you for that. And then there were ways that it did not serve me at all. And matter of fact, really impacted the way I had relationships. And I'm not just talking with my spouse or you know, in a partnership relationship, but in business, in friendships, in all kinds of ways, the way I viewed people, the way I interacted with people, the need to kind of shift myself to be what the people around me needed, master chameleon, right? All of those things definitely, right? Those are all traumas. Those are all things that, you know, little Jeff, five, six, seven, you got, because I think this is the thing we forget. When we look back at childhood trauma, we look back at our upbringing and, and just childhood in general, take trauma out of the equation for a minute. When we look back, we're looking back through the adult brain and the adult eyes and the words we now have and the experiences we now have. You know, six-year-old Mike didn't say, oh, I really want to be a choice one day. Six-year-old Mike said, fuck, this sucks. This hurt. This doesn't feel good. I don't like this. What can I do to never have this happen again? That's exactly right. And, and poof, behavior. <laughs> Exactly. And that's, you know, we say uh, a lot of times that void drives value. Mm. And, and what that means is uh, a place that where you feel a void based on childhood patterns is now how you show up in the world and where you get your value from. And looking at that can be can be really difficult, but it also can be very revealing about why we show up the way we show up. Yeah, yes. So for instance, you know, void drives value for me. Um, uh, athletics were, were a, a big part uh, of that. You know, uh, my family is, is all uh, very athletic and very successful in, in a lot of ways. My brother was a professional triathlete, and I, and I looked at him and thought, oh, man, well, he can be a professional triathlete. I better be a professional triathlete because we have the same genetics. And so, you know, in my 20s and, and, and through my 30s, um, I started the Ironman circuit. I started, you know, training 25 hours a week on my bike, uh, swimming, running, and just really grinding myself into a pulp in order to achieve the highest levels of success at this sport, um, because I thought that would uh, pe- that would allow people to love me. That would uh, allow me to be externally validated. People would see, oh wow, that guy's really great at triathlons, and and that would give me something that I didn't already have. As I started looking at that pattern about about this compulsive exercise and, and grinding myself you know, day in, day out. And, and, and I used to talk about entering the pain cave. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is like, make friends with pain and you'll never be alone. You know, I was, I was engaging in this subconscious pattern because I didn't actually like myself. Yeah. 
you know, I didn't have this thing internally. So I was going out and trying to show up in the world, show that I was better than everyone else at this sport in order to gain love. Void drives value. So I was deriving my value from where I placed in some stupid triathlon. You know, and it's not to say that, that triathlons aren't a great way, uh, you know, to get exercise and be healthy, but it's, are you at choice with this? Are you trying to do it to fill some internal void or are you doing it because you like to keep your body in great shape and you're, and you're training from a place of, of self-love? Yeah. Those two are really, really big differences. Big differences. Huge differences. Yeah, because we talked about this. We talked about this the other day. It's like on the other side of this, you know, because I was sharing with you, wow, if I could go back and operate now free of all the garbage, it would be easier. You know, I would have been a badass. I'd have been more of a badass than I was. I'd have been, you know, able to execute things at a different plane because I just wouldn't have had the, the, the slip into kind of the moral injury or the judgment or the worry or the need to look good or all these things crowding me in. And you and I were talking about this because you brought up the triathlons where you had the realization of like, okay, stop beating the shit out of yourself, asshole. You don't need to do this anymore, right? That you actually you can make that choice and if you wanted to go out and do one today you you could like if that was you woke up tomorrow morning and we're like you know what i want to do this it's a total different context that you're stepping into that with totally and 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 you know exercise is is still really important to me but uh now instead of training from a place of lack i'm training from a place of, of abundance and and love for my body rather than trying to beat my body in, into submission in order to compare myself to others I'm going, hey, you know, can I beat my own time uh, because I'm training my body with love and trying to achieve something that I know I can do, but it's all about in here now yeah. rather than looking at everyone else. And so it doesn't matter if I get last or first, have I, you know, trained in a way that is honoring to myself? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think I'm finding that whole new experience like I was telling somebody the other day. I'm like, dude, working out is phenomenal. Like yeah. the resistance to that, like, cause now for me, it's about what can I do with this vehicle I've been given? What, how can I shape this thing? You know, what does, what, why is strength important? Why are these things important to me? You know what I mean? And it's just like my crave to work out now, my crave to, to take care of myself has radically shifted in a way, unlike at any other time, right? I've done the fitness exercises and, you know, hired the trainers and done the stuff, but there's always been a negative context around it of missing, of lack, right? Because I was a fat kid in school whose coach made him take his shirt off and all that crap. Um, always not good enough, always those things. Today, it's like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Right. And let's see what we can create. Totally. It's, 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 from a, it's, it's creation from abundance as opposed to creation from scarcity or creation from lack. Yeah. And... Look, we can get really far creating from, from, from a place of lack. Yes, you know? yeah, you can hey, do a lot. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, this this kind of exercise thing uh, can be a microcosm for how we perform in the military. You know, the, the military is full of external validation. You're constantly raking yourself against your peers. You're constantly striving to be number one against everyone else. Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily striving because uh, you know there's a lot of external validation there to make yourself the best that you can be. And even though that's kind of, you know, the, they say that's how they want you to do it, the culture is actually not, not kind of built that way. Yeah. You're actually, you need to be better than the next guy. Yeah. And, and you know, when you're, when you're training from that place, 
you're not going to be able to achieve the same things that you would if you're internally, you found healing, you're, you're good for yourself. Now you can go out and build something that's really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So let's circle back for a minute. So, so you started, you started kind of reading books. Like what was your, what was your first, do you know what your first aha entry point was? Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, uh, I, uh, you know, giving was always an important part of our, um, of our company. You know, we, we, from day one, set aside a portion of our proceeds to, uh, give back to veterans and, uh, try and help veterans find the incredible success that we had because, you know, uh, it can be a real struggle coming out of the military. Um, there's a box that you're supposed to fit in and like, Hey, you know, for a, for a fighter guy, it's, Hey, go fly for the airlines or go get a job at Microsoft or, or Lockheed, or, you know, there's, there's these certain things that you're allowed to do. Yeah. And, um, entrepreneurship is not one of those. So, uh, we wanted to, um, you know, give to charities serving veteran entrepreneurs and also give to charities that were, uh, helping veterans heal from PTSD and TBI. So, uh, when I started giving, I started doing research of like, how can my dollars affect people's lives the most? You know, obviously, uh, <clears throat> there are a lot of very large charities out there. Uh, that purport to help veterans, but they're not doing a great job. So I wanted to find the ones that were really doing the best with the dollars that I was going to spend because I knew what it take to earn, what it took to earn those dollars, and I wanted it to be spent in an efficient way. So I started researching how to heal through to uh, PTSD, and I realized that that through that research, PTSD is a huge blanket that yes. uh, we we use as kind of a uh, a catch all for a lot of different things. And, and yes, there is, is certainly a piece of PTSD that is directly related to acute trauma, mm -hmm. you know, of, of seeing friends injured or killed or, or having injuries yourself. I mean, there, that's a very specific subset of PTSD, but we're seeing PTSD be labeled a lot of people that never even saw direct action combat. So what is that? Well, that's actually a belonging. That's actually when they get back, now they don't have tribe, now they don't have the camaraderie and it's actually eradicating loneliness that they're actually, you know, is showing up as symptoms of PTSD. Mm -hmm. That's a lot different than someone that saw direct combat trauma, you know? Yeah. So is that the same thing? Well, probably not. And, and so looking at, okay, well, how do we heal this loneliness piece? You know, what, what is belonging and, mm -hmm. and how do we find that? So kind of reading all this research around what we're actually trying to do here uh, it, so, so the, the book, the very specific book that helped me kind of start on this path was tribe by Sebastian Younger. Yeah, good one. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, he talks about, Hey, it's not actually this combat trauma that is the problem for most of these guys. It's coming home and being completely isolated. Yeah. And so how do we heal that? All right. We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by brute force training. When you're ready to be in the physical condition necessary to meet the rigors, demands, and expectations of your profession, then check out the team over at BruteForceTraining.com and pick up their gear. I promise you, it will put you in the condition you need to be in for this moment and the next. You can use the discount code OPMINDSET, that's OPMINDSET, and the team will take a little bit off the top for you. Now, always remember, train accordingly. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, tribe's phenomenal, and it was uh, it was an eye opener for me too because I agree with you, and I've talked about that openly on the show. You know, true true post traumatic stress is a fractional point, 
in the grand scheme of things. Right. Chronic stress exposure, you know, heightened fear states for long periods of time, right? Uh, dorsal freeze, being locked into fight or flight from that constant exposure, that constant readiness or that constant onness. The lack of tribe, the lack of community, the lack of trust of those around me, right? The expe expectations, the shift of expectations. You know, you and I have talked about it. a lot easier to be in combat. A yeah. lot easier to be overseas. For a very long time, that was the great thing. It's like freedoms, authorities, execute, go. You know, I, I hold the power of the next move. Totally. And, and there's not there's not a lot to think about. <clears throat> like, you know exactly when you're going to wake up. You yep. know exactly where you're going to go get your food. You yep. know exactly where your gear is. And yep. all that same stuff. You do the same thing every day. You create these muscle memory patterns. And your life kind of becomes on autopilot. Yeah. You know exactly what you're supposed to do every single day. And there's a beauty in that. There's, there's a beauty in that simplicity. And when you get back, all of a sudden... Nobody's in charge of me. I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm, I'm trying to create my own business. I can wake up whenever I want. I can do whatever I want. Now I got to figure out what things to focus on to make myself successful. I don't, I don't have uh, a PQS. I don't, I don't have a, a bunch of sign-offs that I need to do in order to uh, become an entrepreneur. I got to figure it out myself. Whoa, that's a whole kind of different stress. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then when you're not finding success there, and you generally, and your peer group that you're now measuring yourself against, because that's the embedded trait, right, is tough. Because then you're hanging out with all the people who appear to be highly successful, who are running companies, who have done work or pretending to do work or whatever it might be. And so you step into this space because like you talked about earlier, right, the culture in the military, culture in the fire service, because all culture in the law enforcement, always comparison against the other. Am I going to get promoted? Am I doing better? Do I have a better PT score? Whatever it might be. Now I step into a new world and it's like now I'm comparing myself. Am I a good dad? Am I a good husband? Am I a good mother? Am I capable of doing this business? And, you know, it is a landmine field of failures. Totally. Yeah. And what happens when we, when we fail is this pattern of negative self-talk. And yeah. this, this, was a, this was a huge one for me. You know, every time... Uh, that I wouldn't achieve whatever it was that I set out to do, or if it was taking a little longer than it was supposed to, uh, you know, there would be this pattern of me uh, internally, this internal dialogue of you better work harder, you better push harder, you know, you, gotta, you better wake up earlier. And, um, you know, a lot of that is created because of this, this big lie that our society tells us, which is work hard and you'll be successful. And that's something that we hear from, you know, the beginning of our lives and, and the reason I say it's a lie is because that is a tremendous disservice to all of the millions of people out there that are working their ass off every day, and they've never found that success that they're supposed to at the, at the end of that rainbow. Um, hard work can make you successful, but hard work is not necessarily going to make you successful. Right. And if you're, not, if you're not finding that success, doubling down and working harder is not necessarily the thing that's going to get you there. You know, for me, it was actually backing off that hard work. And learning about self-care and learning about, you know, prioritizing my family over my job or over my, my company. Learning about prioritizing myself and, uh, you know, working out less, actually, you know, rather than, than trying to just work harder and, and rub some fitness on it. What happens, what, what does it look like if I work a little less hard, but I, but I work smarter? Yes. You know, in an investing world, I could, I could work 100 hours a week and look at every single deal out there. But that's actually not going to make me more successful. What's going to make me more successful is finding the best deals and then doubling down on those. 
And that's actually a great microcosm for life is, hey, where can I apply my effort that yields the greatest results, not how can I just maximize my effort? Yeah, across the board. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know in my entrepreneurial world, I mean, I've worked way harder than I ever needed to work and had less success, which is interesting, right? Because we'd have to define what success looks like, right? Let your brain go there for a minute and just jot down right now what success, what that, what triggers that, right? What does that look like for anybody? And I think that model for me has shifted over time. I know that model shifted for you over time. Um, yeah, and so, and I think that's an interesting definition because then it goes back to like, what am I chasing? What am I doing? What am I working for? And I do agree with you. It's the, the understanding of where do I put energy? Yeah, and, and this idea, you know, another one that's, that's an axiom that we hear all the time is always do your best. Well, always do your best can be really insidious because if I wake up every day and my first thought is, got to do my best today, you know, that means I'm, I'm, I'm waking up and I'm starting from, from a place of this is the standard. My best is the standard. Well, you can't do your best every day. It's exhausting. You know, it's a great recipe for burnout. But if your standard is always do your best and you start falling short of doing your best, well, that's where this negative self-talk starts coming back in. Now you're beating yourself up for not achieving a standard that you could never achieve anyway. You've created an impossible standard for your life that you can never meet. And then you're beating yourself up when you don't meet it. That's how we become unhappy. That's how we, be we start working 80-hour weeks. We start missing bedtimes for kids, you know, all you know, chasing this dream. And now this gets back to, am I at choice with this dream anyway? Do I need the, the two and a half car garage and, the, and whatever and you know, the, hitting these business wickets that are supposed to make me successful? Is that the definition of a success that I've chosen? Am I at choice with that definition? Yeah, and, and what, is that, what is that about? Because nine times out of ten, that's just simply about sometimes just a need to look good around you because when I look good, I have more attraction. When I have more attraction, I'm getting more quote unquote love from people around me, more acceptance. I'm stepping back into a tribe of people who are accepting me for the way I am. And then this where imposter syndrome shows up and everything else, because if you're playing the role, but not being a big difference, right, then being the role, then you're in this community being accepted for what you're not. And the only person who knows that you're not is you. And it's a... <laughs> yeah it, it's yeah. a shit show <laughs> it's it's a it's a vicious loop and, and it's all the subconscious and it's all general and this is what i think this is the elevation right right so this is the elevation from here's what i hear you saying and fire back it's the growth the growth the work the effort enables someone me you to move from a subconscious behavioral state kind of an unknowing that is real and works and you know the elephant's gonna win body's gonna shape the conditions the subconscious is always working shaping behaviors we know that scientifically proven we know it so the growth is the elevation to bring consciousness to that and choice to me is the first real vehicle of consciousness is this does this am i a fireman because i want to be a fireman Right. Am I a cop because I really am choosing to be a cop, you know, or am I doing it because that was my lineage and that's what I'm supposed to do or that's the path or, you know, it sounded really cool or whatever drove yep. me to do it. 
Do I look around today and say, man, I'm here because this is me and I choose this every day. And I think that's, that's, that's part of the journey, right? Totally. And it's, and it's, it's not black or white, right? No, it's, it's not a lever. It's actually a dial because it's not, you know, oh, this was my lineage. And uh, so now this is exactly what I'm supposed to be. And I didn't choose this at all for myself. No, there, there can be aspects of whatever it is that you're doing, you know, whether you're military, first responder or, or entrepreneur. Um, there's reasons that I chose this for myself. And there's external reasons that I chose this. Yes. And, and starting to just look at both of those and going, hey, I actually did choose this piece for myself. And this is what I really like about it. These are some of the things that I didn't choose for myself. I can recognize that now. And it doesn't mean that I have to quit, quit or, or, right. yeah, or, or change my life radically. Uh, you know, when I kind of went through this process of waking up, did I choose this? It didn't mean, oh, I shut down this oil and gas company and, and never did it again. And, and, I'm and, running away. Right, right run, run away and now go be a, a surfboard shaper, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is what a lot of people do. Yeah. But that's just a new subconscious pattern, right, yes. of, of trying to find validation elsewhere. Yep. No, no, okay, now... I'm still in oil and gas. I still have this company, but I'm at choice with it. And I realize the pieces of it that I like and the pieces of it that I don't. And I'm good with that now, but it's because I've examined it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's that willingness to look, right? I mean, that was the, the first catalyst book for me. I think the big aha book for me was Daniel Goldman's Primal Leadership. So this was back like 2000, 2001 timeframe in the fire service, total catastrophe as a leader, right? A, fire service had shifted to kind of a kinder, gentler environment. I was still, if you're not 15 minutes early or 10 minutes late, what the fuck are you doing? You know, have your shit together kind of guy and mutiny on the crew. Like, fuck you, this doesn't work. And, you know, I left and I was driving somewhere and I, somebody had given me the CD, right? The yep. book I'm back on CD. So I'm dating myself here. A little <laughs> bit, right? So I throw it in the car and I'm listening to him and he's like, and he's going through these styles of leadership from an emotional intelligence basis. And, you know, this is my memory of the book. I've read the book again. It doesn't match up, but it's my memory of that time. And I choose to accept my memory of that time because it was so impactful. So to me, he started with the commanding style of leadership and he started talking about all the great attributes of being a commanding style leader, right? Keep in mind, grew up in the fire service, blue collar environment, military operations, back to the fire service. Like that resonated with me, 100%. Commanding, pace setting, get it done, get the job done, always be ready, always be on. And I was like, yes, I'm turning the car around. All these fucking people can sit down. They're going to listen to this. I'm right. <laughs> and then yeah. he's like, and then he gently shifts to like all the negativity around it and how that's like that, that style of leadership only needs to be used in a fractional point in time in life. And then here's the impact of if you persistently use that style of leadership, Here's where you'll exhaust your people. Here's what will come out of this. And I was driving like, shit, I'm not going back to the firehouse right now <laughs> ever again. You know what I mean? Like that was an aha moment for me because that what it caused was an internal look at my own behavior to the people around me in the world, if you will, and actually gently assess whether or not I was truly aligned with what I wanted to be. Yeah. Huge. Right. right? I right. wanted to be a great leader. I wanted my guys to be ready. I wanted, I wanted my crew to be exceptional. That's what I wanted. How I was going about that was actually creating 
a massively negative impact. Right. And, and back to our, our point around patterns, that doesn't mean you have to get rid of command and leadership entirely, yeah. right? Huh, it's no. super useful super. in specific examples, yeah. but it's not useful all the time. So now, okay, that's a tool in my toolbox. Now let me, let me get and create another tool in my toolbox mm -hmm. that may be more effective for more of the time, right? Yes. And, that's, and that's what this personal growth is. It's just adding tools to the toolbox. And when it comes to uh, you know, happiness or fulfillment, which is kind of what we're talking about yeah. here, uh, there are a ton of tools in that toolbox. And so, you know, you mentioned the elephant earlier. You know, that's an analogy that Jonathan Haidt uses in the happiness hypothesis mm -hmm. is that basically we have an elephant and a rider and we think that the rider, which is our ego, is driving all of these decisions, but it's actually the elephant, which is our, which is our subconscious, mm -hmm. right? And so that was a, a massively powerful book for me to go, oh, wait a minute. You know, a lot of times what we do is we jump to a conclusion that we think is right and then we find all of this supporting information <laughs> and validate exactly why validate. we're right, you know, yep. uh, confirmation bias. Yep. Um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, same same type of work where we go, wait a minute, there's there's two different types of thinking here. One of them is subconscious and, and one of them is egoic. And if we can start separating those two and just looking at our patterns, maybe there's a better way, you know, and maybe we can add more tools to the toolbox. So so those were wild, wildly helpful. And then uh, there's this thing, uh, you might have heard of it, called meditation. That's all the rage. Oh, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, basically every time uh, a, a super successful person gets on a podcast, they start talking about meditation. So, you know, this is uh, 2012, 13, and I'm, I'm hearing this over and over and go, oh, well, maybe I'll start to try and meditate. And uh, just like everyone else downloaded uh, Headspace and, and started using those meditations and was doing 10 minutes a day and feeling really great about my progress, except for um, it wasn't really changing my life all that much. And uh, so I was like, well, maybe I just don't understand this or maybe maybe I'm just dumb and uh, maybe meditation's not for me. I've, I've heard that a lot of times. Well, you know, I, I think too much when I yeah. meditate. It's, it, my, my brain's just too wild. There's no way this is going to work for me. Yeah. And it wasn't until <laughs> I really started uh, deep diving on what meditation is, I found out that there's kind of two things. One... A 10-minute, uh, you know, breathing exercise, which is kind of what the headspace and calm type uh, meditation is, that's one way. And then there's there's this self-examination or uh, kind of non-dual type practice, um, and that would be more kind of in the Sam Harris Waking Up app. Mm -hmm. uh, I downloaded that and, and took that course and was like, oh, there's a whole new world out here. And instead of uh, trying to use it just to quiet my brain... Now I was using it for deep inner exploration, and that was a major shift that, that changed a whole lot for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's the, you know, my work with Doug previously around doing the meditation and understanding, and that's what I try to explain to people now. I think we have this idea that meditation looks a certain way, that right. there's like one meditation thing out there. And it either works or it doesn't work. Because I hear the same stuff all the time. Oh, I can't meditate. Oh, I can't do that. Nah, nah, you know. Okay. You know, but there are there are a series of things. And I think as you grow in that meditation, it's like I people ask me all the time, like, well, what do you do to meditate? Well, how much time do you have? Because there are morning meditations. There are persistent, ongoing daily meditations. There are evening meditations there are night times there's hard work meditation there is you know explorative meditation there's it's like unlimited in a lot of ways and i think at the core of it you know meditation was designed to be a practice where you're just coming back 
to where you are. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, what what we hear a lot of times is is just begin again. Right. Yeah. That's that's something Sam's uh, uses a lot in, in his lessons and uh, and a lot of other great teachers is we have this idea that when we're meditating, we're supposed to be devoid of any thought. And and so Good then, luck with then that. yeah, exactly. Then what happens is we sit in meditation, we start thinking, and we go, "Oh, damn it, I can't meditate." And w- what I actually learned is um, when you meditate, you know, you f- start focusing on your breath. Thoughts are going to arise; they're yeah. necessarily going to happen. And and the the key is then to just catch those thoughts gently and bring yourself back and begin again. And so it's actually this exercise of it's not not thinking; it's noticing that you're thinking. And then starting over. And then once you're able to do that consistently, you start getting to a spot where you realize that I am not my thoughts. And there is actually something else that's observing these thoughts arise and starting to explore that. And that's how we get into this witnessing consciousness where we're not caught up in the movie of our life. We realize that emotions just arise. That's not us. That they're just a, a... inanimate thing that arises we can observe them and then when we do that we allow them to dissipate we allow ourselves to fully feel them and then allow them to dissipate and that is a monster game changer it is i think for me the big game changer i think we talked about this the other day it's like for the first time i feel like i'm out of my head right i'm in my body connected to the sensations or the things that i'm experiencing based on the conditions as they are you know if i walk in if I feel a little disrupted when I walk into a room, now I can at least have the observer role and use my brain for what it is and use the thoughts to help explore why. Why am I uncomfortable right now? Is there something going on in the room? Do I feel a different energy? I can check in with the people around me. I can see what's happening. Or maybe it's just my own shit coming up, right? Maybe it's just me being off. But it is the observer role that I think the long-term medi- practice of meditation provides you, which is critical, right? When I, when I look at the math calculation behind what an operation mindset look like, looks like openness, curiosity, humility, right? Those are some of the key attributes that elevate our game, to give us the ability to operate at a different level in, in life, in relationship, at work, whatever it is. And that is all, those are all observer traits, Totally. And, and in really, I think what we're talking about here, what the observer uh, or witnessing consciousness allows you to do is be 100% present. Mm-hmm. And when we start talking about an operational role, presence is the most important thing uh, to that success. Because if we're stuck in the past thinking about situations that have happened or, or whatever is, is leading up to this, we're not 100% present. If we're in the future, that's where anxiety comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where uncertainty comes from. And, and if we're stuck looping in the future about what could happen and what are the implications of this decision we're making, that also takes away from being present. But if we can uh, you know, use our mind to become 100% present in the moment, that's going to allow the greatest operational capability. And that's something that you know, I first witnessed the first time I was in combat. You know, um, we talked about this yeah. uh, a long time ago over, over whiskey, but... Um, <laughs> The first time I was in combat and I started hearing that nine line be read for the first time and I knew I was about to, uh, you know, employ kinetics and supportive guys on the ground, shit got really real. But what happened is I felt uh, time completely slow down and the, and the back of my brain light up and just became completely pl- present and was watching myself punch, you know, the coordinates in and slow motion 
and uh, I really just access what I what I call a higher level of consciousness that I think maybe can only be accessed in, in times like those. And that I think is is what we're a lot of times trying to get to uh, through this these other various techniques and modalities. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, it's that it's that. So I feel like, and I and I for me, I do feel like the practice of meditation, the deliberate processes, enable me to get there. You know, I mean, that's the meditation shoot stuff on the range. You, it collapses all in that moment and nothing else really matters. And you, you can become the observer of influence on the gun, which is cool, right? Too hard on the trigger, too much anticipation, too much desire to hit the target, too much attachment to the outcome of the way things are going to go. And when you do all of those things, when all of those things start to creep in, right? If you're, if you're flying the plane, going into your mission, thinking about other stuff, worried about this, worried about that, clouded, you know, there is the lack of clarity in that moment to execute. And, you know, rather when I can lay behind the gun or I can get into the process and be like, okay, here are the conditions. Here's what's happening. I can feel, you know, the gun be the extension of me. I can feel my finger on the trigger. You know what I'm right? I'm, it's this, it's a beautiful exploration of like the fractional amount of time. Everybody thinks you pull the trigger, gun goes bang. All happens in a moment. Doesn't. You pull the trigger, firing pin moves forward, hits the primer, primer ignites the powder inside, powder inside builds and explodes, pushes the you know, the round of ammunition, pushes the bullet out of the out of the barrel, right? Projects it out. Like that's all happening sequentially. That's not all happening in one moment. And I think that's where we get it. That's how our brains work. That's how things begin to unfold for us in that time of heightened consciousness, of heightened awareness, of, of, height, of hyper-presence. Yeah, hyper-presence is a great way to describe and, it. And, and meditation gives that to me. I know when I leave a 10-minute meditation in the morning, I am in tune and at, <clears throat> sound really freaking cheesy here, at one with the world around me. Now... And that's just connected. Right. Right. And that, I think, is the long-term value of the practice of meditation. And it takes something. Like you said, you can't do it one or – it's not a one-and-done thing. It's not a twice, I can't meditate. Because right. your brain's going to go haywire. Because we're constantly distracting ourselves. We're constantly having external inputs in. We're constantly fighting against all these things to settle down and be peaceful for a little bit. Just in and of, I, I tell people one minute a day. And do it while you're drinking your coffee or just just find something to focus on in the present. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the biggest thing, uh, I think, with developing a meditation practice is be easy on yourself. Oh, yeah. Gentle. I mean, that, that was, that was uh, super revealing is, you know, I was, I was literally using meditation as an excuse to beat myself up further for not being able to do it right. And that's actually creating the opposite effect of, of, of what meditation uh, is supposed to do, which is which is find that stillness, uh, find that presence, and find that that hyper awareness that can come. And we hear a lot about you know flow, uh, right. which can be accessed uh, subconsciously. So you know uh, in the military we're we're trained via muscle memory. We're trained via repetition. You do this thing over and over and over, and then in combat, hopefully your brain falls back on all of your training. Well, what if we can access that consciously? What if we don't have to just slip back into this? mode what if we can go oh i know how to access this anytime that i need it 
right? That's what meditation is bringing to the table. And that's why I think it's so important for an operational capacity. Yeah, man. I mean, it's an alignment. Flow is nothing more than alignment of the mind and the body, you know, and everything in sync, working together, giving you what you need in that moment. That's it, right? I can shut down other peripheral thoughts. I can be hyper-focused. I can be hyper-present, right? And everything matches. Thoughts, feelings, sensation, everything matches in a particular moment in time. And we don't have to be screaming down the road or crawling down a burning building or, you know, jumping out of an airplane to get it. It can. And, and I do, I am 100% with you that meditation is the practice that opens the channels to doing those things, right? To finding that stuff. So I don't know, man, what do you think? How do you feel like you've done, because you've done a lot of work. Right. You've done a lot, right? Uh, and you've, you've done a lot of things that are out there. You've looked at a lot of things that are out there. How are you, and, and, it, and it's been a couple years now. For sure. So, you know, kind of what's the, is it really that scary? Is it really that, is it really that gnarly? Is it, is it worth it? Has it been worth it? Oh man. Yeah. This is, this is a great, uh, a great question, you know? I mean, for me, uh, there are a couple things at play. One, uh, I've, I've always been somewhat introspective and, mm -hmm. and uh, tried to live an examined life. Um, now, you know, that took on a whole new meeting once I started some of these practices. But, I mean, I think, I think the ability to look at yourself is, is one of the most critical things to living this happy and fulfilled life. Because if you always are blaming others or, you know, when you're angry or, or when you're feeling sad or whatever, either suppressing those feelings or blaming them on, on others is just going to create a, a vicious loop. So being able to look at yourself and go, hey, you know, what is this feeling that I'm, that I'm feeling right now and um, where is it coming from? That's a massive first step. Uh, and once you start doing that, then it kind of opens these doors to these other various modalities that we're talking about. And um, I mean, the answer is, yeah, it's scary. You know, the, the first time you're going, hey, uh, you know, why am I angry here? Maybe it's not just this person's fault. Maybe there's something to do with me. Maybe it's, it's some trigger because of, of my childhood trauma. Oh, that can be a little scary to start going down that path. But the first time that you actually are able to find the root cause of an emotion and go, oh, I see why this is happening. Now I can take responsibility for it. Now I heal from it and I break that cycle. Now all of a sudden that's, that's allowing me to be, you know, 1%, 10%, whatever, uh, a little bit more conscious and a little bit more present and in tune with my emotions. So it's kind of an intimidating journey to start, but man, has it been worth it? I mean, you know, my life is radically different now, uh, than it was, than it was three years ago. And, and three years ago, I would have told you I was living a 10 out of 10 life. I would have told you I am living the best life I possibly can. And, uh, you know, three years later after this, this deep personal journey and, and exploring all these various modalities, I'm just getting started. You know, now my life is an 11 out of 10 and yet I still have so much to learn and so much more deep exploration to go. And, and I actually relish the opportunity because it's so impactful, not only to me, but to those around me. And that's, and that's the big thing, you know, it's, it's one thing to heal yourself, but when you start healing yourself for your kids, for your spouse, for the, for your work relationships, your business partners, once you start healing, you start seeing the impact on everyone around you. 
and you're you're consciously elevating everyone that you touch, right? And that is a huge piece of this thing is, hey, not only am I am I helping myself here, I'm helping everyone that I love and care about and we're collectively raising our consciousness. And then you get to start helping other people find these these places and go, "Hey, I see that you're mad at me right now. Have you ever thought about this or you know, is there an, is there another way to think about this situation? So, you know, those are those are massive benefits to starting this journey. Um, another great recommendation um, that that we hear a lot about is the four agreements and mm-hmm. looking at Toltec wisdom. Yeah. You know, and uh, <clears throat> you know, one of the ones that I that I love the most is uh, be impeccable with your word, right? And that that means uh, you know, first before you speak, thinking about how is this going to affect other people that I'm saying it about or myself? Am I, am I, you know, speaking disparagingly about, about myself and just being present with my words and using them in a way, uh, that is only for good. That's going to change your life dramatically. So there are all these little tools out there that you can, you can access as you get deeper and deeper on this personal exploration journey that are only going to improve your life. What would you say has probably been the most impactful? Like what's been the, I know for me, for years, I would read things. Yeah. Four agreements. And it would make an impact on me. Totally. But there was a move for me from exploration to sustainability. Okay, I'll use those words. Yep. I feel like previously, a lot of things were in exploration. They made sense. I viewed them as actions. What do I need to do? Task list. To be this way, to feel this way, and I was working on myself. Yeah. Right. Um, and then somewhere along the line, like that, that was a radical shift for me. I I no longer, none of this is a task list for me. Right. I don't. And matter of fact, and you and I can talk about this. I think we need to here as we close the show up a little bit. We'll hit some of the other people that are out there. But. You know, I think there was this for a long time. It was like a task list of doing self-development. Right. Right? And somewhere along the line, that shifted for me. It's no longer like a to-do, a have-to, or a requirement, or a need, or something along those lines, where it's just how I am. Have you experienced that? If so, do you know where that shifted for you? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, uh, you know, it's really hard for me, I think, to point to to one moment in time yeah. where it where it just became, oh, this is what I do now. Um, but uh, what I would say is the the way that I was able to do it is is falling in love with having my mind changed. Mm. Uh, and and what I mean by that is, um, when someone asks me a question. I try to always consider that question deeply and give them a new answer. So, uh, you know, even something we do all the time, how you doing today? You know, I actually want to think about that and respond consciously, not just out of a pattern and go, oh, I'm great. Well, no, sometimes I'm not great. Yeah. Right. And so to, to actually deeply consider that question or any other question someone asked me, uh, and then in the reverse, when uh, uh, we ask someone a question is to actually listen and not just wait to talk, right? But actually listen because what's so exciting for me is if someone can bring me new information that I haven't considered before, 
and I can actually evolve my position on something, especially if it was a closely or long-held position that I was really passionate about, I always want to take the opportunity to deeply listen to the answer that someone's given in case they have information I've never considered before and I actually now get to change my mind. It's my favorite thing on the planet. And, huh. and the more we get addicted to that idea of, hey, every day, if I, can, if I can learn something new or change my mind or evolve my position, that's how I'm growing. So now I think that's how this thing becomes a practice. And especially when you take that and apply it to yourself and go, oh, wait, can I learn something about myself here? Where is this emotion coming from? Let me examine that. Let me see if new information can come up that now I can repattern myself and inch closer to that fulfillment, that, that happiness, or heaven forbid, that enlightenment, right? Yeah. But, but how can I look at these things with new eyes, with fresh eyes every day and actually become excited about changing? And, and I think that's the key to creating this as, as rather than a, a to-do list is as a constant practice is, can I bring an open mind to every situation? I love that. I love the idea of elevating your position or what did you say? What was the word you said? Yeah, yeah. Evolving yeah. my evolving, position. Evolving yeah, your taking, position. Yeah. Taking I in new that. information. I love that. And changing my mind. Yeah, because I think, especially, you know, the people that listen, that have now consistently listened, we kind of have this, a few drop-ins. And if you're a drop-in, you better stay uh, on the on, listen to the podcast. But but most of, I think that's, I think that actually, if we're quiet and honest with ourselves, I think the natural, because I would say the same thing. I've always been a naturally introspective person. I'm not afraid to look. <laughs> and that has evolved over time, what that means. Yep. But I think we do start that way. And I think that's what ultimately what we're seeking internally. That, that really hit me. And when you said those words, I was like, wait a minute, that is it. It is a level of curiosity to evolve my position or to evolve how I think about things. And the only way we're going to do that is by opening ourselves up to new experiences or new people or new ways of thinking, uh, you know, and not be kind of locked into things. I mean, I know, you know, the podcast is quickly kind of becoming the counterpoint or counterbalance to others that are out there in this community. Um, and we can just call them out by name, right? The Jocko mentality, the David Goggins mentality, um, you know, I, I loved his books. There's huge value in, in, in a modality and a method of thinking and approaching particular situations um, from, from Jocko's perspective. There's huge value in understanding what drives you from, you know, Goggins' perspective. I guess my question when I look at those things, and I'd like your opinion before we close out the show here, if that's all right, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but this has kind of been the brewing conversation. I spew those things as very contextual, like microdosing <laughs> Jocko or Goggins, like extracting a couple things from there, but it's not the persistent daily practice. Totally. So I feel like uh, that's yeah. I mean, you know, this kind of gets back to this hard work thing that I talked about um, a little bit. And yeah, there, there, are, there is some baby uh, in, in what they're talking about, and there is some bathwater. Yeah. You know, and how do we uh, sift through, uh, you know, what's actually useful here and what actually might not be so useful. So, you know, this, this kind of uh, idea that uh, Jocko puts out about extreme ownership. Hey, extreme ownership is great, and, and probably 95% of the American population could use a little ownership. <laughs> 
So, yeah. so in, in that case, like his message is 100% correct. Yeah, hey, take responsibility for your actions. And if, if things aren't going well around you, look at yourself and decide, you know, where can I change in order to, to affect this situation? But for people like us, and especially people that have operated at the highest, you know, elite levels of the military or, or first responders or, you know, kind of these people that are already operating on a deep level of personal responsibility, I think the other side of the coin here is how do I let myself off the hook, mm. right? How do, I be, how do I be easy on myself when some of these things don't go my way? Because sometimes there are external factors that, that create situations where, hey, I did my 100% best. I, I, I did all the planning that, the way I was supposed to. Uh, and some things didn't go my way. And what happens if we go, oh, extreme ownership. Now I got to beat myself up and go, damn it, I failed. It must have been my fault. For me, it's actually been a, a, a really helpful thing is to actually sometimes step back and go, hey, I don't have responsibility for this. I did my best. I tried. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, it's going to work out. This time it didn't. I'm going to let myself off the hook. I'm going to give myself a little self-love. Yeah. And I'm going to move on rather than beating myself up and go, well, better wake up earlier tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, there are some, there are some places where, where their stuff is, it really works. And, and I think for a, for an unwoke, you know, low performing, uh, obese American population, maybe get up at 5am and listen to Jocko and go for a run. Hey, great idea. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah, totally. Cause I, there's some stuff out of his stuff that's great. Totally. Right. There are, there are nuggets in there. I think what we're talking about is how do I blend all of these things, right? right. How do I, and maybe we don't need to be the anti those people in a way, but it's like, how does all of this become useful? Because if there's anything I've learned, it's like all of it needs to come together. I right. think the greatest, I've said it on the show before. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, you know, but Al Dutton was one of my mentors in the fire service. And Al, you know, was like literally five foot four, went to work for DC fire department the year I was born. So by the time Jeff shows up as a stupid fireman, Al's been to thousands of working fires, right? And he is like the quintessential gritty fireman. Like cool, calm, just, you know, just fireman's fireman. And, you know, and he said to me one day, he said, Jeff, he goes, really, there's, I live by three rules. And I think this kind of plays it out. One, if it's not on fire, it's not a big deal. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get that. And, and I tried to apply that then, like that's a tangible thing. We're going to a fire alarm, we're going to things, you know? And he says, sometimes I might even extend that. If it's not on fire or about to be on fire in the next 30 seconds, it's not a big deal. They don't need to get all spun up or wound around it, right? Rule one. Rule two, if it is on fire and I do my job, it'll go out. Yeah, fundamental principles, following the practice, being present executing your mission if you do your job fire will go out got it and he said and then there's always rule three okay al what's rule three rule three is if it's on fire and you did your job and it doesn't go out it wasn't going to go out anyway man i love that and i think that is exactly what you're saying yeah it's being able to get to rule three Absolutely. I mean, and, and this, this is, you know, my pattern was this beating myself up, pushing myself to the limit for many, many years, and it served me super well. And this journey of waking up for me has been, hey, wait a minute, how do I turn this on, on, on its head? How do I be easier on myself? And, and I think if you look at the bulk of operators, 
it's not about being harder on yourself. We do that just fine. Yeah, no problem. We got that one down. <laughs> we, we got it figured out. It's how do we be easier on ourselves? How do we extend ourselves a little bit of compassion and, and a little bit of self-love so that you know we can actually live not from a place of lack, but create from abundance, which is exactly what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, man. I mean, because and that's what I that's what I love about this show, because I feel like by the end of these episodes, guys are like, oh, oh, I see how this all falls together because you're right. We could be shit ourselves. No problem. But and there's a facet to this. On, and, I, you know, we'll close this out here because I know we're on time, but there's a facet to this because this is important. This is an important point giving yourself grace, giving yourself a few minutes, as you would say, letting yourself off the hook, realizing that the conditions outweighed capability. Totally. And that's going to happen in life. And I think those are our moments that we especially, because we will beat the shit of ourselves, because we want to do better. We want to achieve more. We want to be the best. We will believe that we can always beat the conditions. Right. And that's not possible. We're, and, we're creating an impossible standard for impossible ourselves standard. to live up to. Well, and then, and then here's what happens. When we go internal on those, we miss understanding the conditions. Right. We come out of the presence to what was actually happening. And and it's actually, you know, what's the word? To me, it's like, it's almost violating a lesson you could learn. Like, the, I think sometimes the greatest lessons I've learned have come when I've been able to step back and be like, there was nothing I could have done. Right. I did. I did everything in my power. Right. And there was nothing I could have done about it because the conditions outweighed my capabilities. Doesn't mean I need to go get another capability. Just that's situational. But I'm able to actually assess the conditions and see the outer world and see what played out and be responsible for what I need to be responsible for. Right. But, but at the end of the day, you know, the house was burning Long before we got, the house was on the ground before we got there. We just didn't know it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, how can I take responsibility for the things I can take responsibility for? And then how can I let go of the things that I can't, right? And, And the more that we beat ourselves up for the things that we can't control, you know, the worse this this cycle gets, and and uh, you know the more stressed out we get, and it, and it just you know continues the spiral till all of a sudden we we woken up and realized that you know we don't like ourselves very much at all, and uh, I guarantee you there's a lot of people out there because I was one of them. Me too. Uh, you know I I I sat at uh, my coach Phil's kitchen table, and, and you know Phil's been on the yeah. show. Yep. I sat at his kitchen table uh, a year and a half ago. And I said, oh, no, I love myself. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm smart, successful, funny. What is there not to love? Self-love is not a thing that I struggle with. And only recently have I started to open up and go, oh, shit. Yeah, I'm really hard on myself, it turns out. I beat myself up all the time. I talk to myself in a way I would never talk to another human. How do I go about and start healing that? Yeah. And that is a massive journey and, and one that I'm only just beginning. But, man, it's wildly powerful. Yeah, it is crazy powerful. Well, dude, I mean, I'm sure we could sit here the rest of the day and have a conversation. I mean, this is, this is, this is the process, right? This is part of this journey to to really uncover. So, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mike and his crew are a huge supporters of us over at the Operation Mindset Foundation. They do great stuff for us. So, I want to say thank you uh, for really stepping in and supporting us and helping us get that uh, up and running. 
Uh, I really appreciate your contributions there. Any well, I I I, uh, I really believe in what you're doing, and and you know there's there's a lot of uh, things out there that support guys on the back end. Um, you know, once they have PTSD, once their once their life is in shambles, but it's really amazing to see an organization out there giving people the tools so that maybe we can prevent some of this stuff from happening in the first place. You yeah. know, and 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 this introspection, mindfulness. Uh, you know, self-development and and introspective, uh, you know, nature of what you're talking about here. This is going to help people not ever get to the PTSD, and I, I think that's what's so important. Yeah, and I think it changes, and it even changes. It empowers the conversation in the future. Right, right. When something happens, now I have a different context to how to deal with it or how to have that conversation, and that's and those are things I wish I'd had. Absolutely. Ago. You know what I mean, like. How much better would we have been? How much more free would we have been? How much easier would have our lives been? And because uh, it isn't, you know, it is about as being operational as it is about being at home, right? On all sides of the fence. So thanks for coming on. Anything you want to leave anybody with? Your final thoughts? Anything? Anything? Come no, on. I mean, just for, uh, you know, uh, for, for those of you that are, are thinking about starting this journey and are, are fans of the show and uh, and listening to it, you know, I'm, I'm here as living proof is yeah. like, hey, uh, there, there is always work to be done and, and looking at yourself can be daunting, but man, once you start it, it's just the most rewarding thing that you can do if you want to live a fulfilling life. So I just encourage everybody to, uh, you know, to hear what we're saying today and, and, and start looking at yourself and, and asking, Hey, is there a better way? Yeah. Awesome. Well, sir, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Fantastic show as always. And we will uh, talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. Today's show was brought to you in part by the Primed Mind app. You know, I've gotten to know Elliot Rowe over some time now, and using his app has been a huge game changer for me. It brings together a perfect set of guided meditations that really keep you in the game, whether it's sleep, performance, workouts, resiliency, or making those critical transitions between home and work. The Prime Mind app is my go-to source for putting me in the mental and emotional condition necessary to deal with whatever comes my way. Check it out at mindsetradio.com backslash primed mind. That's P-R-I-M-E-D-M-I-N-D. Download it and check out what Elliot has to offer. Remember, this podcast is only available through your continued support through donations to the Operational Mindset Foundation at opmindset.org and through your engagement with our sponsors. So stop by MindsetRadio.com for all the show notes from today's episode and show some love to all of our sponsors by visiting Mindset.com backslash sponsors. As always, feel free to drop me a note with your thoughts about today's episode or join us on Facebook in the Mindset Radio Facebook group. You could follow us on Instagram at Mindset Radio or over at Twitter at Mindset underscore radio. That's Mindset underscore radio over on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and I'm looking forward to next time. Until then, stay safe and stay operational, my friends.